Question 25, Part 2 of Summa Theologica Secunda Secundae, Treatise on the Theological Virtues, The Virtue of Charity. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Summa Theologica Secunda Secundae, Treatise on the Theological Virtues. The Virtue of Charity, by St. Thomas Aquinas, translated by the Fathers of the English Dominican Province. Question 25 of the Object of Charity in Twelve Articles, Part 2, Articles 7 through 12. Seventh Article, Whether Sinners Love Themselves. Objection 1 it would seem that sinners love themselves. For that which is the principle of sin is most of all in the sinner. Now love of self is the principle of sin, since Augustine says in On the City of God 1428 that it builds up the city of Babylon. Therefore, sinners most of all love themselves. Objection to, further, sin does not destroy nature. Now it is in keeping with nature that every man should love himself. Wherefore even irrational creatures naturally desire their own good, for instance, the preservation of their being, and so forth. Therefore sinners love themselves. Objection 3. Further, good is beloved by all, as Dionysius states in On the Divine Names 4. Now many sinners reckon themselves to be good. Therefore, many sinners love themselves. On the contrary, it is written in Psalm 10.6, He that loveth iniquity hateth his own soul. I answer that. Love of self is common to all in one way. In another way, it is proper to the good. In a third way, it is proper to the wicked. For it is common to all for each one to love what he thinks himself to be. Now a man is said to be a thing in two ways, first in respect of his substance and nature, and this way all think themselves to be what they are, that is, composed of a soul and body. In this way too all men, both good and wicked, love themselves, insofar as they love their own preservation. Secondly, a man is said to be something in respect of some predominance, as the sovereign of a state is spoken of as being the state, and so what the sovereign does, the state is said to do. In this way, all do not think themselves to be what they are, for the reasoning mind is the predominant part of man, while the sensitive and corporeal nature takes the second place, the former of which the Apostle calls the inward man, and the latter the outward man, in Second Corinthians 4.16. Now the good look upon their rational nature, or the inward man, as being the chief thing in them, wherefore in this way they think themselves to be what they are. On the other hand, the wicked reckon their sensitive and corporeal nature, or the outward man, to hold the first place. Wherefore, 
since they know not themselves aright, they do not love themselves aright, but love what they think themselves to be. But the good know themselves truly, and therefore truly love themselves. The philosopher proves this from five things that are proper to friendship. For in the first place, every friend wishes his friend to be and to live. Secondly, he desires good things for him. Thirdly, he does good things to him. Fourthly, he takes pleasure in his company. Fifthly, he is of one mind with him, rejoicing and sorrowing in almost the same things. In this way, the good love themselves, as to the inward man, because they wish the preservation thereof in its integrity. They desire good things for him, namely spiritual goods. Indeed, they do their best to obtain them, and they take pleasure in entering into their own hearts, because they find their good thoughts in the present, the memory of past good, and the hope of future good, all of which are sources of pleasure. Likewise, they experience no clashing of wills, since their whole soul tends to one thing. On the other hand, the wicked have no wish to be preserved in the integrity of the inward man, nor do they desire spiritual goods for him, nor do they work for that end, nor do they take pleasure in their own company by entering into their own hearts, because whatever they find there, present, past, and future, is evil and horrible. Nor do they agree with themselves on account of the gnawings of conscience, according to Psalm 49.21, I will reprove thee and set thee before thy face. In the same manner, it may be shown that the wicked love themselves as regards the corruption of the outward man, whereas the good do not love themselves thus. Reply to Objection 1. The love of self, which is the principle of sin, is that which is proper to the wicked and reaches to the contempt of God, as stated in the passage quoted, because the wicked so desire external goods as to despise spiritual goods. Reply to Objection 2. Although natural love is not altogether forfeited by wicked men, yet it is perverted in them, as explained above. Reply to Objection 3. The wicked have some share of self-love, insofar as they think themselves good. Yet such love of self is not true, but apparent, and even this is not possible in those who are very wicked. Eighth Article whether charity requires that we should love our enemies. Objection 1. It would seem that charity does not require us to love our enemies. For Augustine says in his Enchiridion 73 that this great good, namely the love of our enemies, is not so universal in its application as the object of our petition when we say forgive us our trespasses. Now no one is forgiven sin without he have charity, because, according to Proverbs 10.12, charity covereth all sins. 
Therefore, charity does not require that we should love our enemies. Objection to. Further, charity does not do away with nature. Now everything, even an irrational being, naturally hates its contrary, as a lamb hates a wolf, and water fire. Therefore, charity does not make us love our enemies. Objection 3. Further, charity doth nothing perversely, according to 1 Corinthians 13.4. Now it seems perverse to love one's enemies, as it would be to hate one's friends. Hence Joab upbraided David by saying in Second Kings 19.6, Thou lovest them that hate thee, and thou hatest them that love thee. Therefore, charity does not make us love our enemies. On the contrary, our Lord said in Matthew 4.44, Love your enemies. I answer that, love of one's enemies may be understood in three ways. First, as though we were to love our enemies as such. This is perverse and contrary to charity, since it implies love of that which is evil in another. Secondly, love of one's enemies may mean that we love them as to their nature, but in general. And in this sense, charity requires that we should love our enemies, namely, that in loving God and our neighbor, we should not exclude our enemies from the love given to our neighbor in general. Thirdly, love of one's enemies may be considered as specially directed to them, namely, that we should have a special movement of love towards our enemies. Charity does not require this absolutely, because it does not require that we should have a special movement of love to every individual man, since this would be impossible. Nevertheless, charity does require this, in respect of our being prepared in mind, namely, that we should be ready to love our enemies individually if the necessity were to occur. That man should actually do so, and love his enemy for God's sake, without it being necessary for him to do so, belongs to the perfection of charity. For since man loves his neighbor out of charity for God's sake, the more he loves God, the more does he put enmities aside and show love towards his neighbor. Thus, if we loved a certain man very much, we would love his children, though they were unfriendly towards us. This is the sense in which Augustine speaks in the passage quoted in the first objection, the reply to which is therefore evident. Reply to Objection 2 Everything naturally hates its contrary as such. Now our enemies are contrary to us, as enemies, wherefore this itself should be hateful to us, for their enmity should displease us. They are not, however, contrary to us, as men and capable of happiness, and it is as such that we are bound to love them. Reply to Objection 3 it is wrong to love one's enemies as such. Charity does not do this 
as stated above. Ninth article. Whether it is necessary for salvation that we should show our enemies the signs and effects of love. Objection 1. It would seem that charity demands of a man to show his enemy the signs or effects of love, for it is written in 1 John 3.18, Let us not love in word nor in tongue, but in deed and in truth. Now a man loves in deed by showing the one he loves signs and effects of love. Therefore, charity requires that a man show his enemies such signs and effects of love. Objection to. Further, our Lord said in the same breath, Matthew 5.44, Love your enemies and do good to them that hate you. Now charity demands that we love our enemies. Therefore, it demands also that we should do good to them. Objection 3. Further, not only God, but also our neighbor is the object of charity. Now Gregory says in a homily for Pentecost, his homily 30 on the Gospel, that love of God cannot be idle, for wherever it is, it does great things, and if it ceases to work, it is no longer love. Hence charity towards our neighbor cannot be without producing works. But charity requires us to love our neighbor without exception, though he be an enemy. Therefore, charity requires us to show the signs and effects of love towards our enemies. On the contrary, a gloss on Matthew 5.44, Do good to them that hate you, says, To do good to one's enemies is the height of perfection. Quoting Augustine, his Enchiridion 73. Now charity does not require us to do that which belongs to its perfection. Therefore, charity does not require us to show the signs and effects of love to our enemies. I answer that the effects and signs of charity are the result of inward love and are in proportion with it. Now it is absolutely necessary for the fulfillment of the precept that we should inwardly love our enemies in general, but not individually, except as regards the mind being prepared to do so, as explained above in Article 8. We must accordingly apply this to the showing of the effects and signs of love, for some of the signs and favors of love are shown to our neighbors in general, as when we pray for all the faithful, or for a whole people, or when anyone bestows a favor on a whole community. And the fulfillment of the precept requires that we should show such like favors or signs of love towards our enemies. For if we did not so, it would be a proof of vengeful spite, and contrary to what is written in Leviticus 19.18, Seek not revenge, nor be mindful of the injury of thy citizens. But there are other favors or signs of love which one shows to certain persons in particular, and it is not necessary for salvation 
that we show our enemies such like favors and signs of love except as regards being ready in our minds for instance to come to their assistance in a case of urgency according to proverbs twenty five twenty one if thy enemy be hungry give him to eat if he thirst give him drink outside cases of urgency to show such like favors to an enemy belongs to the perfection of charity whereby we not only beware as in duty bound of being overcome by evil but also wish to overcome evil by good confer romans twelve twenty one which belongs to perfection for then we not only beware of being drawn into hatred on account of the hurt done to us but purpose to induce our enemy to love us on account of our kindliness this suffices for the replies to the objections tenth article whether we ought to love the angels out of charity objection one it would seem that we are not bound to love the angels out of charity for as augustine says in on christian doctrine one charity is a twofold love the love of god and of our neighbor now love of the angels is not contained in the love of god since they are created substances nor is it seemingly contained in the love of our neighbor since they do not belong with us to a common species therefore we are not bound to love them out of charity objection to further dumb animals have more in common with us than angels have since they belong to the same proximate genus as we do but we have not charity towards dumb animals as stated above in article three neither therefore have we towards the angels objection three further nothing is so proper to friends as companionship with one another confer ethics eight five but the angels are not our companions we cannot even see them therefore we are unable to give them the friendship of charity on the contrary augustine says in on christian doctrine one thirty if the name of neighbor is given either to those whom we pity or to those who pity us it is evident that the precept binding us to love our neighbor includes also the holy angels from whom we receive many merciful favors i answer that as stated above in question twenty three article one the friendship of charity is founded upon the fellowship of everlasting happiness in which men share in common with the angels for it is written in matthew twenty two thirty that in the resurrection men shall be as the angels of god in heaven it is therefore evident that the friendship of charity extends also to the angels reply to objection one our neighbor is not only one who is united to us in a common species but also one who is united to us by sharing in the blessings pertaining to everlasting life and it is on the latter fellowship 
that the friendship of charity is founded. Reply to Objection 2. Dumb animals are united to us in the proximate genus by reason of their sensitive nature, whereas we are partakers of everlasting happiness by reason not of our sensitive nature but of our rational mind wherein we associate with the angels. Reply to Objection 3. The companionship of the angels does not consist in outward fellowship which we have in respect of our sensitive nature, it consists in a fellowship of the mind, imperfect indeed in this life, but perfect in heaven, as stated above, in question 23, article 1, first reply. Eleventh article. Whether we are bound to love the demons out of charity. Objection 1 it would seem that we ought to love the demons out of charity. For the angels are our neighbors by reason of their fellowship with us in a rational mind. But the demons also share in our fellowship thus, since natural gifts, such as life and understanding, remain in them unimpaired, as Dionysius states in On the Divine Names 4. Therefore, we ought to love the demons out of charity. Objection to Further, the demons differ from the blessed angels in the matter of sin, even as sinners from just men. Now the just man loves the sinner out of charity. Therefore, he ought to love the demons also out of charity. Objection 3. Further, we ought out of charity to love, as being our neighbors those from whom we receive favors, as appeared from the passage of Augustine quoted above in Article 9. Now the demons are useful to us in many things, for by tempting us they work crowns for us, as Augustine says in On the City of God 11.17. Therefore, we ought to love the demons out of charity. On the contrary, it is written, in Isaiah 28.18 Your league with death shall be abolished, and your covenant with hell shall not stand. Now the perfection of peace and covenant is through charity. Therefore, we ought not to have charity for the demons who live in hell and compass death. I answer that, as stated above in Article 6, in the sinner we are bound out of charity to love his nature, but to hate his sin. But the name of demon is given to designate a nature deformed by sin, wherefore demons should not be loved out of charity. Without, however, laying stress on the word, the question as to whether the spirits called demons ought to be loved out of charity must be answered in accordance with the statement made above in Articles 2 and 3, that a thing may be loved out of charity in two ways. First, a thing may be loved as the person who is the object of friendship, and thus we cannot have the friendship of charity towards the demons. For it is an essential part of friendship that one should be a well-wisher towards one's friend, and it is impossible for us, out of charity, 
to desire the good of everlasting life to which charity is referred for those spirits whom god has condemned eternally since this would be in opposition to our charity towards god whereby we approve of his justice secondly we love a thing as being that which we desire to be enduring as another's good in this way we love irrational creatures out of charity inasmuch as we wish them to endure to give glory to god and be useful to man as stated above in article three and in this way too we can love the nature of the demons even out of charity inasmuch as we desire those spirits to endure as to their natural gifts unto god's glory reply to objection one the possession of everlasting happiness is not impossible for the angelic mind as it is for the mind of a demon consequently the friendship of charity which is based on the fellowship of everlasting life rather than on the fellowship of nature is possible towards the angels but not towards the demons reply to objection two in this life men who are in sin retain the possibility of obtaining everlasting happiness not so those who are lost in hell who in this respect are in the same case as the demons reply to objection three that the demons are useful to us is not due to their intention but to the ordering of divine providence hence this leads us to be friends not with them but with god who turns their perverse intention to our profit twelfth article whether four things are rightly reckoned as to be loved out of charity notably god our neighbor our body and ourselves objection one you would seem that these four things are not rightly reckoned as to be loved out of charity to wit god our neighbor our body and ourselves for as augustine states in his tract eighty three on the gospel of john he that loveth not god loveth not himself hence love of oneself is included in the love of god therefore love of oneself is not distinct from the love of god objection to further a part ought not to be condivided with the whole but our body is part of ourselves therefore it ought not to be condivided with ourselves as a distinct object of love objection three further just as a man has a body so has his neighbor since then the love with which a man loves his neighbor is distinct from the love with which a man loves himself so the love with which a man loves his neighbor's body ought to be distinct from the love with which he loves his own body therefore these four things are not rightly distinguished as objects to be loved out of charity on the contrary augustine says in on christian doctrine one twenty three there are four things to be loved one which is above us namely god another which is ourselves 
a third which is nigh to us, namely our neighbor, and a fourth which is beneath us, namely our own body. I answer that, as stated above in question 23, articles 1 and 5, the friendship of charity is based on the fellowship of happiness. Now, in this fellowship, one thing is considered as the principle from which happiness flows, namely God. A second is that which directly partakes of happiness, namely men and angels. A third is a thing to which happiness comes by a kind of overflow, namely the human body. Now the source from which happiness flows is lovable by reason of its being the cause of happiness. That which is a partaker of happiness can be an object of love for two reasons, either through being identified with ourselves, or through being associated with us in partaking of happiness, and in this respect there are two things to be loved out of charity, inasmuch as a man loves both himself and his neighbor. Reply to Objection 1. The different relations between a lover and the various things loved make a different kind of lovableness. Accordingly, since the relation between the human lover and God is different from his relation to himself, these two are reckoned as distinct objects of love, for the love of the one is the cause of the love of the other so that the former love being removed, the latter is taken away. Reply to Objection 2. The subject of charity is the rational mind that can be capable of obtaining happiness, to which the body does not reach directly, but only by a kind of overflow. Hence, by his reasonable mind, which holds the first place in him, Man, out of charity, loves himself in one way, and his own body in another. Reply to Objection 3. Man loves his neighbor both as to his soul and to his body, by reason of a certain fellowship in happiness. Wherefore, on the part of his neighbor, there is only one reason for loving him, and our neighbor's body is not reckoned as a special object of love. End of question 25. Read by Michael Shane Craig Lambert, L.C.